then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. That's right, Bruce, we're back, and today, man, we have an episode. Bruce, we're going to get in a little trouble. Yeah, we're going to get in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about something very, very, very controversial in this aspect, and there seems to be two sides waging war almost, but it's not a war. There's just philosophical and even ethical differences, man. Today, Bruce, we're going to talk, this is episode 17, and today we're going to talk about disease. Now, before, we've talked about the disease model, but today, Bruce... And Bruce and I are fired up because we've started chatting a little bit about this. But today, Bruce, and I'm going to let you lead us in. Today, we're talking about actually is addiction a disease? Wow! Like we're actually going to approach this today, yeah, man. Yeah, life. Man, after, you know we're what? Not backing down. Life yeah, after addiction. yeah. I'm, I'm fired up about it because I, I, I'm not scared. You better I'm, believe I'm it. I'm not scared. <laughs> I mean, this is where I'm most comfortable is being in the controversial aspect of Jesus Christ. So uh, here we go, right? So is it a disease? Well, there's been plenty of research that shows that it's not. Mm. As In fact, most people don't believe this, but uh, there's been just as much research that, that proves that it's not a disease as there is research that proves that it is. Mm. Uh, we just don't hear about it. It's kept under wraps uh, because there's a huge machine out there that's benefiting from it being a disease model. Here's the, the truth behind it is when you start looking at the definition of addiction as a disease. Now, I'm not saying, and I want to be careful here, that there are no such things as diseases. There are. Right. But specifically, we're talking about addiction as a disease. Right. And how it cannibalizes on itself when you look at the definition of addiction as a disease, it says that the addiction first and second has to be categorized under two things, right? It says in order for it to be a disease of the brain, which is what classifies uh, as an addiction, um, is that it first must show evidence of tolerance, meaning that when the person uses a drug, it takes more and more uh, for that person to receive the same kind of benefit from it right. uh, over a period of time. So okay. what I what I used to take a year ago, I have to take twice as much as that now to get right. the same results, and, and that continues on, right? Okay. So there's the first definition, first aspect of the de- definition being a disease. The second is that uh, there's a withdrawal aspect. So if I try to curb or stop that tolerance-building uh, addiction, then I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go through a process of cessation, which my body's going to revolt about not doing that anymore, and I'm going to get sick. I'm going to have you know the symptoms of withdrawal. Okay, wait a minute, Bruce. Wait a minute. Boom! You nailed it. I have a disease. That's exactly what my addiction was. I had to take more and more and more and more and more and more and more to still, to feel the same effect. And when I stopped, I had major major withdrawals. So what are you saying? That uh, that's exactly right. That, that's the disease. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't prove, uh, based on the symptoms, that somebody has a disease uh, of addiction. The problem with that is that it doesn't apply to everybody. Because there's also evidence that people who match that, they have built a tolerance for something, they went through the withdrawal, but they are no longer addicted. So that's exactly right. That's the kicker. Any, Any medication... Um, 
well, I don't know about any medication, but that model, if that's the standard for calling it a disease, that your tolerance is built and you have to have more of the medication and or you withdraw from the medication, man, then then there's going to be a label of someone that's an addict or has the disease of addiction way more than the, the scientific or the medical field is saying, right? Is that, what you're, is that the point? Yeah, I mean, two entailments must hold if you're classifying addiction as a disease. First, it must have the evidence of tolerance within the use of the, of the medication or the drug. And second, it must be that you go through a withdrawal experience when you try to stop using it. Right. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. I mean, because we're, we're building a crescendo here through this episode of, of where we want to take this. Because we're, we're not trying to just dispel stuff for the sake of dispelling it and argue just for the sake of argument. I mean, there's a reason behind what S2L does and how we help guys through addiction and recovery mm. that's different than, than what is being said about it as a disease. Now, the disease also says that because it's a disease that you are an addict and therefore you're always going to be an addict because it also says there is no cure for this disease. Mm. And so you can't stop calling yourself an addict. Now, you may have hope that, that you would go into remission just like any other disease, right? But it's always lying there waiting to resurface. Therefore, you have to call yourself an addict and you always have to remember you're an addict and you always have to do the things that are necessary in order to stay not addicted, but you will always be an addict. So the fear is that I could go back into full-blown disease at any time. And therefore, I have to do these things in order for that not to happen. Now, we're going to get into like some really controversial stuff when we start talking about MAT, you know, medically assisted treatment. Because if it is a disease, then it makes a lot of sense that we would treat it medically, right? Yeah. Because that's how we treat all diseases in hopes that they, we would find remission or it would be find a cure or these kinds of things. And so it makes a lot of sense that, and there's a big push out there in the recovery world, right, Adam? Yeah, I mean, yeah. one, medically assisted treatment. I one mean, of the popular things right now that's, that people are saying is the new wave of, here's the answer, right? We yeah. need the answer. Why do they need the answer, Bruce? Because it hasn't been working. Medication or medicated assisted treatment, MAT. And here's what they're doing, man. Uh, the, basically, for the treatment of opioid addiction, uh, I would say the three would be methadone, naltrexone, and buprenorphine. Two of those three are highly, highly addictive. Methadone and buprenorphine are addictive drugs that they're using to treat an addiction. What? Right. What? And so, yeah, so it is popular. MAT is, is – and that makes sense in the aspect of – uh, if it's a disease, another thing that makes sense, another reason that Bruce called it kind of a machine, because if it is a disease, then therefore insurance will pay for it because it's medical, right? And so right. that's big money, man. That's, that's big money. Yeah. I, I, I want to avoid the conspiracy theory of how this is a capitalistic feeding right. itself you know, monster right. kind yeah. of thing. We're not going to go down <laughs> roads that we, we probably could, but that's a yeah. fact. That's a fact. It is. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote here from Dr. Matthew Torrington. And this is out of the book uh, Addiction and Virtue by uh, Kent Dunnington, which I would encourage a lot of people to read because not only is this his own research, but there's a plethora of resources in here that, that, that uh, are founded on other people's researches for, for decades mm. about this stuff. And so talking about it being a disease and how 
should be treated medically, we have Dr. Matthew Torrington who says, uh, quote, unquote, with the scientific advances we're making in understanding how the human brain works, there's no reason we can't eradicate addiction in the next 20 to 30 years. We can do it by fixing the part of the brain that turns on during drug addiction and encourages you to kill yourself against your will. I think addiction is the most treatable of all major problems we face, and I think we will. Mm. Wow. Unquote. <laughs> so so that, that's, that's somebody who believes totally that it's a disease and that it is treatable uh, by medicine, and he's making this prediction, although that might not be shared by everybody in the medical world. This is a doctor who's saying this, who's devoted his, his life to this type of research, and he says within the next 20 to 30 years, Adam, I'm telling you, if we don't fix this thing before that, uh, I mean, we're already at, at a pandemic. Yeah, you know? yeah, man, it's really bad. It's getting so bad. Here, here's the stats. Now, we don't have the stats for 2017 even. Our most current statistics of overdose deaths is from 16. We won't know 2017 stats until December of this year. But here's what our recent stats say, Bruce. Uh, in America only, and uh, in, in our country, more people died from drug overdose in 2016 than the entire Vietnam War era, which was 14 years of war, one year in 2016. Wow. It's bad, man. Yeah, and talking about Vietnam, I mean, here's evidence that shows that it's not a disease model, right? Um, So based on the two things that we talked about, it being uh, you have to have a tolerance and you have to have withdrawal symptoms, right? Many people who came out of the Vietnam era claimed to be addicted to heroin or morphine right. uh, while they were in Vietnam. However, the majority of those people who claimed that when they came back from the war, they were no longer addicted. Now, that's not to say that there weren't because there were plenty of people who were, but there was a, a large majority of people who no longer actively used morphine or heroin. Yeah. And they didn't go through treatment. They went through withdrawals. And they had built a tolerance over the time in which they were in the Vietnam War using those drugs, but they weren't, they weren't addicts. They so how does that happen? According to the, the, the disease, they were, right. they had, their tolerance was built. They had to have more to have the same high. And then they had withdrawals when they came off of it. So what happened when they come home? Why, how was it not a disease? Well, this is the segue in which I'm hoping to get to because we want to give some hope in all this and, and how it matches what we do at S2L. And, man, we could talk for hours on this. And I'm holding a book in front of me. It's got a ton of stuff that I could just point to. But I'm just simply just going to encourage people to find out on their own because there's plenty of evidence out there. I mean, I, this book that I mentioned by Kent Dunnington is an excellent book. And, and I'll, I'll say that the, the title of the book, Virtue and Addiction, or Addiction and Virtue, rather, is uh, Beyond the Models of Disease and Choice. Mm. It talks about it even being a moral issue, you know, so because we know back in the 70s, I mean, that's before they started claiming that it was a disease model. I mean, people were getting electrically treated, yeah, (laughs) you know, because they they thought people were insane. You know, they thought it was a moral issue and that people were crazy. And, you know, my father, who was an alcoholic back in the the 70s, I remember him going to treatment and it it was very much like white robe, basket weaving, you know, it was... This type of treatment, you know, because they they thought it was 
I'm not even going to go there, right? Yeah. I'm just I'm saying that we've come a long way. I think the disease model has helped bring respect and things into uh, helping people in addiction, but it's not the answer is, is what I'm getting at. And when we see that evident in, in the majority of the methodologies that are used to treat addiction today in the recovery industry and the, the, the success rates are dismal. Any, anywhere from 3% to 20%, so on average 12% is what we're seeing in the, the, the majority of the methods that are common today in recovery. And so what, the reason we're talking about this is because there's another hope. Right. There's another hope. And a, if, a we continue, hope. if we continue down these, these pathways of identifying addiction as a disease and how to treat it medically, we're only exasperating the situation we're not getting to a point of success. And if it's going to take 30 more years to try to figure out that there's some kind of genetic code that we can master uh, or a portion of the brain that we can cut off or whatever through medicine, I mean, God help us, right? I, I, yeah. But here's what we do. We believe that it's not the disease. And the evidence shows, uh, if you go and look for it, that it can't be defined by what the definition of disease of addiction is, which is a brain disease, because it doesn't successfully consistently meet this criterion, which they're claiming it to be true. Hence the Vietnam soldiers example right. of, of them coming home. Right. And they, they go on to talk about genetic research, right? Because some people will say, Hey, it's a gene, you know, I adopted it from my father, mm-hmm. but they've gone on to do research of controlled environments and uncontrolled environments. So for instance, you take, uh, twins, right? Not fraternal twins, but biological twins, right? So they're identical, and they've done studies uh, with these twins and their their uh, receptivity to becoming an alcoholic or somebody in addiction, drug addiction. And they'll they'll show within an environment in the same family where these two identical twins, right? They that that both of them, if one becomes uh, an addict, the other one also does, right? Mm. But then they went to control that environment and they said, okay, well, let's take the, the identical twins at birth, but that have been separated, meaning they went to two different families, never associated with each other. They were in an adoption situation and where one became an addict, the other one did not. So again, it, it's not consistent in the way they're trying to find these, these, these things that support their, their, their idea of it being a disease model. But what, here's what they did find was that if the, the twins were separated at birth and one became an addict and the other one didn't, the one that didn't, the parents weren't addicts, but the one who did, the parents were, one of the parents were addicts. And so what they're, what they're, the conclusion of all this and what this guy is saying here, which I believe in, and because it supports what we talk about and, and what we do at S2L, is that it's an investment, right? So, and the environment in which you're in. So if you're investing in that environment, meaning the person who became an addict, his father was an addict, he's in an environment where there's addictive behavior going on. Right, and and these things can be adopted because we're in those environments. Now, take this person as an adult, right? Uh, where they create their own environments. What are they susceptible, susceptible to? The environments which they came from, mm. right? So you have to break the chain of the investment in the environments, right? So basically, what we're saying is, and the Bible talks about this. It says, "Wherever your treasure is, therefore your is your heart." Yeah. Right. So yeah. if I'm investing in these things, if I'm continuing to to Choose relationships, choose environments, uh, choose activities, behaviors, ideals, things in which I believe in, continue to find myself in those scenarios, uh, then that's what 
I'm investing into, and therefore I'm more susceptible to be, being those things, mm. right? Than I am. So what we do at S2L is we're we're saying, look, it's not a disease model. You don't have to call yourself an addict. That's not how God created you. There is a cure. It's called Jesus Christ. And what He does is what He does for everybody, whether you're an addict or not an addict, is that transforms your heart. It's a renewing of the mind. Paul says. And what we do is we invest into the disciplines and the, the virtues, the things that God says are good, and, and that's what changes our life. And it comes also from a supernatural power that says if you do these things, you know, you will be an overcomer. You escape the corruption in the world. So this applies not just to somebody who's an addict or says they're an addict, right? It applies to everybody who suffers from the afflictions of this world that we can, are consumed by in worries, fears, I mean, it, let me give you an example. If I'm constantly investing into my career, right, and I'm a workaholic, let's just say, mm. well, I've now surrounded my lifestyle with these things that I, where my heart is because I'm investing into it with all these things and I'm ignoring my family, my children, all these other things. And so I'm just as addicted to that as I am a drug. Mm. And therefore, it's defining the outcomes of my life. The symptoms of my life are that um, I'm constantly have anxiety uh, because I'm not getting sleep. I'm, I'm not experiencing life. I'm just investing into this one thing. And I'm, are you know, bro- relationships are broken, like all this kind of stuff. So what we say to the guys when they come into S2L is, man, you're just like anybody else. You, you don't have to call yourself an addict. Your brokenness comes from what you've invested into. Mm. And we're trying to break that cycle by teaching you the ways of Jesus Christ and the goodness, the virtue of God and invest in these things. Now, let's take this, let's extrapolate this idea, right? And let's look at, and God forbid, here we're just going to create a bunch of emails that are going to just be hate mail. I can just feel it coming already. Let's look at the traditional, right, methodology that's accepted by medicine, by uh, drug courts, by government, and insurance. Insurance. I mean, we're looking at 12 step methodologies, right? Sure. That says that through these processes, you can be, you, you can find abstinence. You can, Find clean time. You you can go through a remission process where you're not relapsing, and and it, and it's because you're investing into that methodology. You you have to go to so many meetings during a week. You have to call yourself an addict. You have to continue to to do the studies that because you're an addict, and you can't ever forget you're an addict because you might relapse, and and you have to invest into these things. It becomes a lifestyle of you identifying with being an addict, and therefore you're perpetuating. The, the actual thing in which you're trying to get away from because that's what you're investing into. When guys come to S2L, man, we're not telling them to, to invest in, in being an addict and continue to do these mm. things as an addict in, in order for you to, to not be an addict. We're saying invest into this, which is what God's calling everyone to invest into and be the thing that God created you to be, which is not an addict. It's not anything. You know, we, we talk about principle five, which is, uh, desire for godliness, which is about the renewing of the body, renewing of the mind. Jesus says you have to be reborn, that the old is gone, the new has come, right? We're, we're, we're moving away from what we used to invest into and invest into this. Yeah. And God says, when you do that, you'll have a blessed life. Like, and, and man, look, I'm just going to be honest and say, well, the, the naysayers out there will say, well, man, Christianity, it's just a 12-step program. I mean, you're having to go to church, you're having to read the Bible, you're having to pray all the time, you have to surround yourself with other believers who are like-minded, right? You say, well, and you've created your own like, conditioning out there. Yeah, I could see if you don't believe that that's what you would think. 
However, the difference is that there's real power because there's a real God and it's your creator and, and the things you're investing into, he says, is what brings peace and rest and prosperity, you know, and, and these things that God, it's God, it's a, it's a divinity we're talking about, not some man-made process, right? Yeah, and it's not, and so the example there of comparing it, well, you've just created your, well, the problem is, is that God's word's been around for thousands and thousands of years and it is the branching away from that that's causing the problem yeah. right now now here so here's what and let me recap here's what bruce just said so according to this book it's the investment of what like you're investing into this and that's what you're either going to be full-blown in addiction or an addict or you're going to invest into recovery and the model of addiction recovery for the mainstream is to invest in something that calls you an addict. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a caught in a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hold back. <laughs> so it's like it's it's like designed to keep you there. And man, I want to take it another, another step. And then later I'm gonna ask the question of well, then why don't we invest the right way? But let me talk about because you brought it up. I want to talk about MAT for a second, man. And this is just my personal Uh-oh. situation when you're talking about caught in the trap. One the definition of the disease is if it was you had to the tolerance level got higher and and you had withdrawals if you stopped it. If that's accurate, if that's what the medical definition of disease to call it the disease of the brain of addiction, of addiction, disease of the brain, whatever, the very medications, man, that they're using to treat opioid addiction is causing people to be an addict. Yeah. You try buprenorphine for a few months and see if you don't need more and see if you don't withdraw when you come off of it. That with You try uh, methadone. methadone. And I'll tell you from experience, personal and doing what I've done for so many years, methadone withdrawal, buprenorphine, buprenorphine withdrawal, that's stuff in your bones. Tell, tell people what buprenorphine is. Because commonly it's known as Suboxone or Subutex or these types of, you know, these are the common terms in pe- in which people can identify with. So what we're saying is, man, and this is going to, this is going to, this is not just controversial to people who support these types of ideals, but it's also controversial to people who are involved in this. The victims uh, that have been succumbed by these, these methodologies, which are the persons that are trying to recover. And and here I am. I'm I'm now. I'm not doing heroin anymore, but I, I can't stop doing suboxone. Yeah, but but even the industry is prescribing these medications by their own definition would be causing addiction. Yeah, or a disease. You're so you're you're treating a disease with a disease. And and, and here, so this is kind of a separate issue, but it really you're diagnosing. And this is from personal experience. The danger of MAT is where does that end, man? Because I'm all for, Bruce and I are all for, in a detox setting, yeah, these medications are very helpful for opiate withdrawal, but definitely necessity for alcohol and benzo withdrawal or dangerous things can happen. But that's for a 10-day period. Yeah. That's that's different than what MAT is. Yeah, because you're, you're, ta- you're talking about the difference between a tapering to get you through a process that's versus it. versus a maintenance, a, a maintenance. Yeah. yeah, which is a lot of these clinics. That's what they want you to do. Every thirty days, you come back and you get your your new prescription, and you just you're on a maintenance program. And here's something that's scary, Bruce. In my own journey, MAT medication assisted treatment. Where does that end? Because you know what happened when I went to detox. I had to see a, a doctor, psychiatrist. 
that psychiatrist diagnosed me with depression and a few other things at a detox. I was withdrawing from drugs. Life sucked, if I may. <laughs> I don't know. Life was bad. Everything was not good. I was diagnosed with depression. I was therefore prescribed medication. Hey, for man, my if I'm leaning over the commode and throwing up like 10 times a day, man, I don't, I'm, I'm depressed. Yeah, and not only that, <laughs> but you know what the receptors it does to your brain and all this stuff? It takes time for your brain to, to heal naturally from those things. So I was in a dark spot. I was diagnosed and I was prescribed medication. Here's what that looked like. Eight months after being prescribed, I was taking this medication for depression, amongst other things, every day. And man, things started to look good. And you know what that led to? Man, things are good. I'm finally over this. But there was a fear that the only reason, and this is for me personally, I was misdiagnosed. I'm not talking about medications bad for depression. Don't hear that. For me personally, I was misdiagnosed. And the fear at the seven, eight month mark was if only reason that I'm happy and that life is good right now is because of this medication. So I made a decision Man, I don't. I think I was misdiagnosed. I counseled with my family, my friends, close friends, and medical people, doctors, to say, "Hey, I'm wanting to make this personal decision for my, my, you know, whatever. I want to stop this because I don't think I think I was misdiagnosed." So they guided me on how to do that safely. And man, sure enough, it was like that was five years ago. And after a few, it was kind of weird for a couple of days because, I mean, I was withdrawing from the medication, yeah. right? I was withdrawing. They were trying to get, I was withdrawing from that medication psychologically. But man, things kind of opened up to me and I felt like, wow, wow, I'm happier than I've ever been. And I'm, this isn't a knock on medication or people that truly need this medication. We're not knocking that stuff. We're saying that if you're going to prescribe and you're going to diagnose and you're going to medically assist, treat someone when it comes to addiction, you're doing that at a very dangerous time in life that they're coming off of drugs. Mm-hmm. What, what are you doing? You know, and man, things changed for me. And, I, and it's, that's just, that's, that's a call to track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, we, we keep repeating ourselves and saying that it's not that we don't believe in diseases. It's not that we don't believe that there are uh, things out there psychologically that people need to be treated by, by medicine that is actually helping them. We're talking specifically about addiction. Right. And let's just make sure that's clear. We'll probably say it two or three more times again before we're done. Because I'm just going to share something personal, and that is that I suffer from PTSD. Right. I I was in the war, um, but I also experienced some things as a child. Uh, through abuse that caused this to happen. And let me just say, when I stopped using drugs and stopped drinking alcohol, man, the the symptoms got worse. Yeah. Because I was numbing myself sure. you know, during those things. And I don't know if I was doing that because of those things or what, but because uh, I'm not going to make any excuses. Well, I was investing into that lifestyle. Okay, so. Right. But, man, I I take medication right now. But this is for post-traumatic stress. It has nothing to do with my addiction. It has something to do with something completely different that I struggle with. And the medicine helps me. Yeah. It helps me. So we are not saying to people, hey, stop taking your medicine That's for right. whatever your psychological you know, uh, issue is. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that if you're diagnosing people in, a, in an environment, in a situation in which they're, going, where they're showing symptoms of depression and things like this because... 
of the withdrawal because of the environment, the thing that they're doing. Man, where you're misdiagnosing people, you're not doing it within a controlled environment that you should do. And man, we can get, like I said, we can get down this whole conspiracy theory of how the insurance companies with medical uh, treatment programs, institutions with the doctors who are in place and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it all feeds itself, right? I mean, people are making money off this. I mean, I remember a specific rehab that I went into where, yeah, everybody went through detox. Everybody got prescribed new meds. And every morning at med call, there was a line around the building, people trying to get their medicine. That we weren't doing drugs or alcohol anymore, but we were all waiting in line to get our new medications, you know, and we were all diagnosed while we were in treatment. And then after treatment, we were all led to believe that, you know, this is what we have to keep doing. And there was a ton of medication I was taking that I eventually got off of because I was misdiagnosed while I was in treatment. Yeah. So go to your PHP, your primary or your PCP, your primary care physician, and we'll send him your records. And of course, he's not going to challenge that that came from a from the addiction experts. He's just going to continue running these medications for you. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. But here, we're 30 minutes in almost, and we're just now about to hit something. If you've waited, if you've been interested this long, buckle in because here's the meat. The question is, the, the theory of investing that Bruce is talking about, someone could ask, if that's so simple, the theory of investing, then why aren't people investing in these things that you're saying, Adam and Bruce? Why aren't they investing in what God says? And that is the answer. That's the great question. Mm-hmm. That's why we're going to talk from a biblical worldview. We're not going to steer away from it. And in order for us to talk from a biblical worldview, we're going to sit here and we're going to call addiction sin. Mm-hmm. We're going to call addiction idolatry. That's why people are not investing in it because it's serving me. I wanted to numb it. I needed to feel good. I have this pain. All I have all of this and this is how I do it. I need to feel a certain way. I need to do a certain thing. I've had bad past experiences, so I need to numb it. And what you're doing there is you're not looking to the creator who created all of these things, created you, created, knows how you're supposed to live to help you with this stuff. You're, 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 call, you're turning it in on you and you know best. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're basically perpetuating the idea of self-help. And the Bible is very clear about this. What seems good and right to man still leads to death. We can create our own scenarios, but they don't, if they don't include the supernatural power of the divinity of Christ, then we're just spinning wheels. And you may have some success in that, but it's temporary. It doesn't last. Right. It, and the only thing that's lasting in real change is, is, is the, the discipline, and the, which I say it's a discipline, but it comes from a desire. Because God changes your heart, because He created you, because He's your your God, and because of what He did on the cross, and and forgiving you, and so you, you we want to live this way, and in doing so, we change, we change. God God is changing us. Yeah. Um, and so when I talk about self help and, and these these things, man, the reason why they don't work, let me let me just give you an example. The disease model says because it's a phenomenon of the brain, it's a disease of the brain, that it's involuntary. Well, let, let me mm. let me talk about this because if we're talking about the disease model of addiction, then we have to include everything they're saying about this, which says that it's not your fault. It's a disease of the brain. It was nothing that you did. Right? You, you 
for some reason you've contracted this disease and whatever it was that you invested into by continuing doing it wasn't your fault. It was involuntary. You couldn't help yourself. You, you couldn't stop it. Here's how we're going to fix it. But there is no cure, but here's how we'll, we'll subdue yeah. it for a time. Right. And let me, let me just give you an example of that. So if it's involuntary, then what we're saying is that it presents the deterate, uh, deterioration of the human power of choice as its primary symptom, right? Well, let's look at the disease of Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is also a disease of the brain that says it's involuntary and that you have no choice in this, that the brain is doing something which you have no control over. It's involuntary. You're forgetting stuff. You have, you have disillusions. You, know, the, you can't remember. You, you know, the, these things are happening to you. It's not your fault because you aren't doing anything to cause it. It's just happening because it's a brain disease and it's involuntary. Right, mm. but they're but what they're saying about the disease of the brain of addiction is it's it's like unto this, but they're clearly not the same. Right, one is definitely involuntary because of the deterioration of the brain, or the other, it's not the same. Right, but they're classifying it as the same, the same symptoms, the same definitions of the disease model, and this kind of stuff. It doesn't work that way. Right. Let me give you another example. And then we'll move on because I really want to talk more about the the, the, the solution that yeah. we found and why guys are finding success in recovery is that if if you were to take a person who is classified as an addict um, with the brain disease, right, and you were to say, well, there's no hope for this person, it's incurable, then why is it that somebody who gets in an accident, car accident, let's say, breaks their back, right, has, has to do long-term recovery in a hospital just to learn how to walk again, okay? And we're talking six months, eight months. I mean, sometimes these things last a long time. I mean, some people never walk again. Some people have the pain from that injury that never goes away, okay? But let's just take the person who it is treatable, right? It, it wasn't so severe that through rehabilitation and 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 medication to control maintenance of the pain, that they're in the hospital for six months. When they first started taking that medicine for the pain, they're now taking a lot more because they've built a tolerance to it while they've been in rehab and they're in this hospital environment. Never took drugs before, okay? But now they're classified as an addict because of over six months of drug use. The, The tolerance is built up. They're taking more and more. And when they finally stop taking that medicine, they go through huge withdrawals. I mean, you're talking about some, you're talking about Oxycontin, you're talking about some very morphine. powerful drugs, morphine, you know, uh, and, and they stop taking the drug and they go through withdrawals. Yeah. Now, that same scenario, aside from the injury of the back, right, you could say is a drug user. And at six months after using heroin over a period of time, tolerance build up, they have to take more and more. They're using it to numb themselves, whatever it is that their affliction is, right? They're saying, and and now you're trying to stop and you're going through withdrawals and you're in recovery. They're telling you that you're an addict and there is no cure and that your only hope is is remission, clean time, but at any moment you can go back to a relapse again. And you have to stay into this program to call yourself an addict because that's what you are. But the person who was in rehab from the injury and the accident with the back injury got out of the hospital learned how to walk again, is no longer taking that drug. Yeah, they went through a withdrawal period. Yeah, they built a tolerance over over time, but they have no desire to use that drug ever again. What is the difference? 
Yeah. And, and we did an episode on why do some live and why do some die, why do right. some succeed, why do others right. don't. And I'm telling you, it all goes down to what it is that we're teaching our guys in S2L and recovery is that, man, don't look at it as a disease. Don't look at it like it's incurable. Don't look at it as it's involuntary and you can't help it and it's not your fault. Look at it like it's what you invested into and what you continue to invest into. And here, here's an example. I go to uh, a 12-step program. It tells me I'm an addict. I admit that, right? I go through the whole 12 steps. I learn everything about the addiction and how I'm supposed to change the course of my life by doing these steps and admitting my faults and doing all this thing. But I still call myself an addict. I still have to go to meetings all the time, surround myself. I'm still investing into the whole thing, right? And, and I didn't change anything about my life, right? I may have changed a few things. Like I don't go to the bar anymore or I don't hang out at the dope house anymore, but I still do everything else that I did. I just, I'm just abstinent of the, the drugs to listen to the same music, still hang out with the same kind of friends. I still participate in these activities that are of virtue, right? In which God calls us to live. And I'm wondering why I'm, I'm not happy. Uh, I'm still struggling. Uh, I may have some relapses, but I'm still trying and why is it working for me? Why is it working for me? And then, then you have the guy who doesn't do that, has has decided to invest into something completely different, right? Change their lifestyle, change the things they're investing their time in, what their what their beliefs are, what they believe in, and their life is changing. Their desires are changing. They're they're not going back to the things that they used to do, and and they're actually not white knuckling it. They're not like cringing every day and go, man, I just want to do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, no, it's like, man, life has gotten better. Like, my eyes have been opened. Like, there are things that I never used to do before that I'm doing now. There are things that I didn't think I would even match my identity or who I thought I was that I, I believe in now. And like, my life, I have new friends. I do new things. I don't do that. I don't do that. I do this. And it's not because I'm making myself do it. It's because I want to do it. Yeah. Right? That is what happens to a guy who comes to S2L, spends the time with us, learns these things, goes back through... The process we put in place, not because they have to be in a meeting, right? But because they're in church and, and they're continuing to do the things we taught them while they were with us and surround themselves with other believers, right? Look, we, we're having, man, we're going to have an awesome week this week. Just so, just, you know, we, we've got alumni for the first time in S2L's history that is coming back to the ministry. They're coming from all over the United States. They're flying in. They're going to spend some time with the guys. They're going to go to the church. They're going to, do some uh, community service and this type Catapult. of stuff. And, and these are guys who have left the program, went back to their lives, changed their lives to be similar to what they were doing in the program. And man, they're on fire for the Lord. Their, their lives are completely different. They're, they're not suffering from white knuckling of, man, I just want to use drugs, but I'm, I'm just trying not to. And no, they're, they're changed people. Right? Yeah. And the reason why they're coming back is because they want to show the guys who are in the program now that this is the hope that you have yeah. in, in this path versus another path that you would take that's about self-help. Right? You take a person, let's, I mean, I'm rambling because I'm on fire, Adam. I'm just going to say, look, you take a, a self-help, which is a billion-dollar industry, has, and I'm not saying they're all bad, but like take, take a person who's trying to curb their diet, trying to lose weight, right? And, and this is what the world says. The world says, look, there's a way in which you can do this that is very convenient for you. You can take a pill, right? You can go and have this stuff removed, cut out of you. You can have a tie put into your stomach. You can do whatever. You're going to lose the weight. You're going to lose pounds, man, right? 
But the majority of these people who do these things, they end up gaining the weight back. Why? Because they didn't change anything about their life. They were told, hey, you can do whatever you want. You can just take this pill and, and therefore you can keep, I mean, the idea to think that, hey, man, look, I'm a diabetic. I have to take insulin. And as long as I just take my insulin, I can still eat whatever I want. I mean, everybody knows that's a false reality, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's so many people who practice that. They rely on that insulin. They continue to keep doing everything they did before. They're, they're, they're not getting better. They're actually getting worse, but they're convinced that they are because it's just convenient for them. And, man, I, I can lose weight. I, I can just take this pill. You know, it yeah. makes me feel a little funny, but whatever. I can still eat all the food I want. And, and these are just false realities. They're lies that people are buying into, and it's the same thing in addiction recovery. Yeah, and here's, here's the, the, the brass tacks, man. Um, Biblical worldview, and, and here's what, I mean, we could get philosophical, but how can anyone know anything? And, and so that's why we're going to speak truth on this matter and, and not be, we understand it's going to offend people. It's, it's going to step on a lot of toes and people aren't going to believe the way we believe, but this is the answer. So how, metaphysics, right? How can anyone know anything's true? How do you know what is true? And, and what I would say is, you can't know anything unless you know everything or you have revelation from one that knows everything. Basically, if someone, and that's, that's God. Yeah. So if I asked you, how do you know something? You say, well, I, I know this. I know A because of B. Okay, well, I know B because of C. Well, how do you know C? Well, I know C because of D. And, and that doesn't end at Z. That's an infinite regress. You have to know this because of this, because of this, because of this. Right. And that's impossible. Unless if someone that knows everything has revealed knowledge, God's revealed knowledge through his word to us. And what that says is you can be freed from sin. You can be freed. And if you can't call sin, sin, if you can't call idolatry, idolatry, you're going to be stuck with a 12 to three to 12% success rate. And here's Jesus is talking to these highly religious men and he uses the word freedom and they pick up on it. He makes it clear. They pick up Jesus. We're sons of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anything. So they didn't understand, but Jesus said this. He said, if you've sinned, you're a slave to it. And who the son sets free is free indeed. And that, and that's all in John eight, I believe. I don't think that's not the right order, but he's talking about freedom from this. There's freedom from this. And if we can't, from a biblical worldview, we're going to call it what it is. That doesn't mean anyone's less important than the other. It's, you can't, if you're saying that you have no control, you're a victim, you're this, you're this, you're keeping people in addiction. Yeah. So we're saying things that might be a little hurtful, but we're trying to draw people to freedom in Christ. We've seen it. There's, there's so much beauty. And you gave the example of the Vietnam soldiers. I'll bring it to right now. If you're listening to this podcast, the voices that are ringing in your ears are an example of people who had to have more and more and more drugs because of our tolerance and two men who suffered extreme withdrawal when we stopped our chemical and we're standing here today freed from it. We're not doing it anymore. We're not desiring anymore. Christ set us free from ourselves, from our desires to be God, from our desires to be the one that created us, from our things that we're saying, God, we know better than you. Mm-hmm. He freed us from that. Well, and here's, here's the real rub, right? 
And, and this is why Jesus himself is controversial. It's why they killed him. Yeah. Okay. And Jesus says, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. So anybody who's like speaking like this, like what we're doing right now, the world, you know, at large, is it doesn't want to hear this because they've adopted uh, something else. And what it's doing is being a light in the darkness. It's having people look at themselves and and make, God calls us to examine ourselves, right? And so nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I mean, because if you're convincing me that I've got to change, then, you know, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to change. I want to keep doing the same stuff I've been doing. I, I want to believe in this, not that. And man, I'm just going to beat up on the Christian community for a minute because we're beating up on worldly stuff, right? I'll beat up on the Christian community. Man, what God calls us to in salvation is just the beginning. Yeah. The, the revelation of God and the depravity of who you are and how much you need God and, and the salvation that comes from that because you surrender to it, man, it is, it is the beginning, right? That's not what brings about change. God calls us to maturity. He, he says we are to be sanctified. And the, the very principles that, 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 that developed our curriculum, yeah. right, Found in Second Peter one three through eleven, and it talks about this growth model. It says God is going to grow you from from this to that, and from one gl- degree of glory to the next. And 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 God says He'll finish what He started, and we'll we'll keep at it until the day Jesus comes again. That God is strengthening you, He's growing you, He's using the trials in your life to actually help you prosper, to give you hope, yeah. to move you from one season of life to another, and. Man, all of this is about God saying you you have to grow, yeah. And that's what we're teaching these guys at, at S twelve. It's like, man, you're, you're drinking spiritual milk right now, and and when we just baptized five guys over the last few weeks, right? Three days, three days, five like, guys in three five days, five guys in three days, man. And that's just the beginning. The sad thing about Christianity is that's where most people stop. Nobody grows, man. So we can call ourselves Christians. And say that we're making changes because of our faith in God, but if we're not growing and we're not changing our desires and we're not investing in the things that God calls us to invest into, then we're we're not we're part of the problem. Yeah. We're not part of the solution. Yeah. And then people just don't want to hear that stuff. And that's the same thing that when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of his time, I mean they didn't want to hear what he was saying. They didn't they wanted to kill him because it was they had to change. The whole dynamic, everything that they'd set up uh, was a, a false uh, way to live. And, and what Jesus was presenting to them is, no, this is what God's calling you to do. And they didn't want to do that. Yeah. And, and on the, so you pick on the church, I'll pick on just everything, the world. Uh, man, humbly, with humility, um, and... Just, just a, a pleading heart. I say this that it's not working, and someone might say, "Be careful, man! What you're saying. There's a lot of people that it helps, and be careful." I found Jesus at the twelve step, and, and and here's what I'll say: God can use a crooked stick to strike straight blows. Amen. But I'm not. I, I, I can't. If your argument to me, which we just revealed these statistics, and you could debate those, we, we, we can, the statistics of an average of 12%, brother, if you're telling me that that's helping a lot of people, that's good and you're right. But man, I got to yell fire when there's danger of fire. 88%, it's not. Right. <laughs> so, so I've got to say, man, it's not working. Man, 
Christ can set you free. We love you. We're not trying to hurt your recovery or anything like that. But wake up, O sleeper. That's what we're going to say. And we're going to tell the truth on this show. And if you don't like it, man, you have the freedom given to you by our God to not listen to it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That's where I'm at. Any closing thoughts? No, I think we've pretty much made a lot of people mad. <laughs> but we spoke truth. And, and I think we've helped a lot of people. So I don't, I don't know that a lot of people, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, have a, I have a clear conscience about the show. A lot of times God calls it to things that aren't popular in the world. But, but I mean, when you just, logic. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, you can't take my logic away because it's offending someone. It might help someone 12%, man. Yeah. I stand by that. 88% it's not. So who's the real, who's the one that's truly caring here? Um, man, anyways, guys, we love you. We didn't have time for a question. That's all we have. Bruce, you have one more thing? I do. I have one more thing because in fairness, we, we're talking about all these statistics and numbers and stuff like that. And we, we have our numbers and it's through surveys that we've done. And and we're, we tout a 60% success rate with yeah. our guys. And, Email and, us. We'll send but you But we're not survey. happy with that, right? We We want to do more than that. And, man, I just got a call the other day from a, a Christian recovery program in, in northern eastern Tennessee, and the guy's reaching out to us because he's like, man, I'm not seeing the success you guys are, are having. And I'm talking Bible, I'm preaching Bible, I'm, I'm teaching Bible, and, and I'm just not getting the same results you guys are. What's, what's going on? And we're, we're going to go up there and visit him and see what's going on, but I can already tell you yeah. one of the things that's happening that I can imagine why they're not seeing the success is because they're implementing the disease model of treatment at the same time, they're, they're teaching freedom through Christ. And it's a conflict. And it's a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we love you. We're going to speak truth. We're going to show compassion. Keep listening. Have a great one. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.